for tuning in to Organic Matters. We'll start off today with a little bit of science. We've always talked about global warming, what's going on. It's, it's happening, folks. I think the, the, there's, it's not in question anymore. It's a matter of what can we do. But a new study shows that to help really counter the global warming as it's coming, we need to focus far more on methane than we ever thought we should. Scientists at Stanford have concluded that the EPA has radically undervalued the climate impact of methane, a short-lived climate pollutant, by focusing on a hundred-year metric of quantifying global warming instead of looking at it in shorter terms. In this study, they looked at the Environmental Protection Agency and that it was drastically undervaluing the potency of methane as a greenhouse gas. When the agency compares methane climate impact to that of carbon dioxide, and this is a new study that kind of changes the picture a little bit, the EPA's climate accounting for methane is arbitrary and kind of unjustified and three times too low to meet the goals set in the latest Paris Climate Agreement. The research report published Wednesday a week ago in the journal Environmental Research Letters found this to absolutely be a part of the problem. The report proposes a new method of accounting that places greater emphasis on the potential for cuts in methane and other short-lived greenhouse gases to help limit warming to about a degree and a half Celsius above what we commonly call the pre-industrial levels. And to quote here, if you want to keep the world from passing up to that one and a half degree mark Celsius threshold, you'll want to pay more attention to methane than we ever have thought of so far. That says Robert Jackson, an earth system science professor at Stanford University and a co-author of the study that looks into this. We've been aware for a while now that methane is the second leading contributor to climate change after carbon dioxide, but is a far more potent greenhouse gas. Unlike carbon dioxide, which can remain in the atmosphere for centuries, methane is a short-lived climate pollutant that stays in the atmosphere. They're guessing now, and they're pretty close to it, probably settles out pretty much by 10 to 12 years. The vastly different atmospheric lifetimes of methane and carbon dioxide make comparing the climate impact of the two gases kind of hard to do. The EPA, following guidance by the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which we've all heard about, quantifies how equal amounts of different climate pollutants like carbon dioxide, methane, and even nitrous oxide contribute to warming the planet over a given 100-year period. The comparison allows scientists and, and, and government agencies and even private sectors to weigh the relative impacts of different greenhouse gases and then determine just how much emphasis to place on reducing their emissions. However, the use of the 100-year yardstick results in a greater emphasis on pollutants like carbon dioxide that remain in the atmosphere for a relatively long time and downplays the contribution of short-lived pollutants like methane, even though they do far more on a metric ton for metric ton basis to warm the atmosphere in the short term. Sam Abernathy, who's a Stanford doctoral student and the lead author of this particular study, said he became interested in the global warming potential of methane after looking into why the United States and many other countries 
just use the 100-year time frame. He found that the period of 100 years is just sort of an arbitrary and unjustified choice adopted by the Kyoto Protocol several years back, the first binding international climate agreement that was back in the 1990s, I think, and used it in international reporting and agreements ever since. The 100-year measure was selected for the Kyoto Agreement because it was the middle ground between two other possible time frames, 20 years or as much as 500 years, provided in early reports by the IPCC, one time we'll do it, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Quote, I was confused at how something so arbitrary could be underpinning so much of our climate policy and how we think about different greenhouse gases. That was a quote from Abernathy. Over a 100-year period, methane is 28 times more potent than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. However, over a 20-year period, a yardstick that climate scientists have previously suggested we probably be more appropriate time frame, methane is over 80 times more potent than equal amounts of carbon dioxide. It's really a huge swing in how much we value methane and therefore how many of our resources should go towards mitigating that particular gas. However, the use of either time frame remains somewhat still arbitrary. To determine what we would call a justified time frame, the Stanford researchers took the Paris climate goal of limiting warming to one and a half degrees Celsius as a starting point and then calculated the most appropriate time frame to meet that goal. Based on the climate models using scenarios where global warming is limited to one and a half degrees, they determined the planet would reach one and a half degrees of warming above pre-industrial levels in approximately 24 years. Think about it, if that's the case and you're using a 100-year frame uh, to measure for methane, you're not going to put enough value on reducing methane emissions compared with the other greenhouse gases. Over a 24-year time period, methane is 75 times more potent than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. This is three times higher than 25, the current value that the EPA uses for methane. It's not inherently wrong. It's just not aligned with the current climate knowledge as we know it. While it's true, the carbon dioxide remains the most important greenhouse gas, but we must be paying attention to methane if the world is to limit warming to one and a half degrees Celsius. If there's any good news about this, it is that the last meeting, which was just recently in Glasgow, many environmentalists and officials, especially in the Biden administration, argued that a focus on reducing methane emissions would definitely have a much greater impact in the short term than focus on carbon alone. Given how much more potent methane is and how much longer carbon stays in the atmosphere, focusing on methane they surmised, would give governments the ability to slow global warming more in the near term while buying additional time to tackle the long-term warming driven by the less potent, however longer-lasting, carbon dioxide. That does at least give me a little hope, folks, that now that they have at least identified the problem, that they will all come together with a more realistic approach of just how 
much more potent. We now realize methane is and put a little bit more emphasis on it, at least on a short-term basis. Just kind of sum it up, folks. We have got to become more aware of what the realistic, real science is about this problem and do realize, and I always try to throw this in once or twice in a show, it's not for us, it's for our children and our children's children. We have got to look down the road and we just, with politics the way they are, they look down the road two years, four years, or six years, basically to whenever the next elections come along. Whatever they think they can do to make it look good for that short term, that's what they do. But that's not what's going to solve the real problems. Let's move along to another subject for a few minutes. It's equally as interesting to me, but it was even a surprise. I kind of keep my nose to the grindstone and, and keeping up with what I call the basic sort of worldly facts about the ecology and the environment. But didn't know microbes in oceans and soils across the globe now are actually evolving to eat plastics. And this is according to a new study that just came out. The research scanned more than 200 million genes found in DNA samples taken from the environment and found about 30,000 different enzymes that could degrade at least 10 different types of our most persistent plastics. The study is the first large-scale global assessment of the plastic degrading potential of bacteria and found that one in four of the organisms analyzed carried a, at least one suitable enzyme. The researchers found that the number and type of enzymes they discovered matched the amount and type of plastic pollution in the different locations where they were found. These new results provide evidence of a measurable effect of plastic pollution on the global microbiological ecology. But many plastics are currently hard to degrade and recycle. Using enzymes to rapidly break down plastics into their building blocks would enable new products to be made from old ones, cutting the need for using virgin plastics in production. The new research provides many new enzymes to be investigated and adapted for our industrial uses. The explosion of plastic production in the past 70 years, from a couple million tons to over 380 million tons, is a huge, huge increase in volume. But it has given microbes time to evolve to deal with the plastic. The study, which is published incidentally in their journal M-Bio, it's a peer-reviewed science magazine, started by compiling a data set of 95 different microbial enzymes already known to degrade plastic to some degree, often found in bacteria in rubbish dumps and similar places that's already rife with all kinds of plastic. Since the studies began, they found like over 12,000 new enzymes just in ocean samples. Not to mention, in soil samples, another 18,000 plastic-degrading enzymes. And incidentally, soils are known to contain more plastics with phylates, which we really don't want in our environment, than the oceans. And the researchers found that more enzymes that attack those chemicals just happened to also have evolved, of course, on land. Nearly 60% of the new enzymes did not fit into any known enzyme classes. This suggests that these molecules degrade plastics in a way that were previously unknown. The first bug is what we want to call them, that eats plastic was discovered in a Japanese waste dump back in 2016. So not really, not very far back, really. Scientists then tweaked it, and in 2018, they tried to learn more about how it evolved, but inadvertently, 
created an enzyme that was even better at breaking down plastic bottles especially. Further tweaks in the year 2020 increased the speed of the degradation sixfold. It breaks down plastic pretty quick, folks. And finally, another mutant enzyme was created in 2020 by a company called Carbios that can break down plastic bottles for recycling literally in hours. German scientists have also discovered a bacterium that feeds on the toxic plastic polyurethane, which is usually just dumped in landfills right now. Do you realize that just reducing our use of plastic and putting it in the environment is the number one way to take care of this? But it's kind of interesting to know we may find a way to get around it using enzymes that are already out there waiting to help us. Thanks for staying tuned to Organic Matters.